0: We're starting a new sermon series today, which is, um, I don't know, I'm terrible at like sermon names and series names. I'm not like a witty person, I don't know, so I'm just, this is like a vision time, all right? I, I want to go back to, to questions like, what is the church? What are we supposed to be about? What are we supposed to be doing? Um, we do have a new mission statement, which I'm going to be repeating week after week until um, until you're, you wake up breathing it out of your mouth because it's just so ingrained in your mind. Because we want to really uh, just memorize this, know what we're about as a church. We're convinced that this statement I'm about to read, you see it on the walls in our welcome center. It's, it's a, there's a lot of ways to talk about what Jesus has asked us to do, okay, what the Scriptures has asked us to do. There's a lot of ways to talk about it. We've landed on the statement of equipping followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with their neighbors, so can we say that together? Equipping followers of Jesus to share his love and good news with their neighbors. That the language is very intentional, every word of that. Um, equipping, we want to be a church that is making disciples that is seeing all of us grow in Christ. Together, in order that we may be people who are embodying Him um, outwardly, that we're sharing His love and sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with our neighbors and those around us. It's simple, it's not complex, and it's going to be the general aim of all that we do here as a church. And so, as we walk through some vision kind of sermons the next month or so, this one uh, this morning I'm really excited about. It's called Don't Empty the Cross of Its Power. I know it sounds a little insane, but Paul gives us that warning that we're going to see this morning. Um, some questions that we're going to be answering today. The, the text is 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In the Red Pew Bibles, it's page 1128. We're going to be looking at some questions this morning about what it means to be a church. A church on mission, a church... Um, uh, uh, the shape of our ministries, the the goal, the aim of our ministries, the culture we have here as a church. I'm trying to kind of, in almost like a junk drawer way, kind of answer all those questions as you look at one of the struggles that this early church in Corinth had in their very early years, in their infancy as a church. So yeah, what does it mean for Emmanuel to be a healthy church focused on what the Scripture calls us to be focused on? What are ways that we can be distracted from that mission as a church? What are we dependent on in our ministries? What should we value or celebrate as a church? And is it possible that we can mess this up so bad and get so distracted that we can actually empty the cross of its power and how we do ministry, do Ministry as the church. Now, I'm not saying that the cross can actually be emptied of its power. That's not what Paul says in our text, as we'll see. But the idea is one of what power are you looking to draw from, to exemplify, to put on display before the congregation in order that we may progress forward? What power are we trying to rest on and draw from? And that's what Paul addresses for this early Corinthian church. I know it's a big question, it's an intense thing, we're going to look at it this morning. So as we uh, read this, coming in verse 10 here, this is the word of the Lord from the letter to the Corinthians. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus. In other words, I think the new living, it, it, he's appealing in the authority of Christ, He's basically saying like, and the, whatever authority I have in Jesus, I'm, this is an intense statement, right? Like, I'm talking to you, wake up, listen. In the name of Jesus, he says, I, I want all of you to, to agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, that is Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Remember that when we read these early New Testament letters, they're letters, right? Paul's writing letters to real people, addressing real situations, real events. And they're usually a response to something, and we don't normally have, right, the full correspondence from the church, and we don't really usually have all of the information. And so that's when the studying, the background work has to come into play to figure, well, why is Paul saying this? Like, what is he really addressing, right? Because this is like we have, you know, half of the conversation, we're missing the other side of the conversation. But nevertheless, here's a general picture of what's going on. Paul is writing to this baby young church in Corinth, which is in ancient Greece, but was still the Roman Empire. And this church is a hot mess. You read the rest of the book. It's a hot mess. All right? The first issue that they have that Paul's addressing here is they have found themselves divided over their allegiance to the teachers of the gospel in their church. You can call them their pastors. Chloe's household went and told Paul, he said, hey, people are fighting over there. Some are you know, after Apollos kind of like formed themselves in like Apollo's camp, his little following over here. Some people are, have, have attached themselves to Peter. They're like in his camp, and you have one too, Paul. Like you have a little camp over there, a little crowd of people that's attached to you. Um, and They're fighting, like they're, they're not getting along in this church, Paul. So that's one of the things that caused him to write this letter. Now, if you read the context of the whole chapter and do some background work, you'll discover that what's Probably happening here is that there was an external cultural influence that was hitting this church in Corinth really hard that had contributed to their division in these ancient days there were what we call um, what we can call sophists okay that 's just Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom and these Sophists they were coming from a much older kind of uh, Greek influences in the Roman Empire they were itinerant. Philosopher teachers, okay, deeply trained in the art and skill of public speaking. They were known for taking pupils for pay, uh, developing followings, um, going in public squares and giving dramatic, really eloquent speeches, just full of philosophic wisdom, right, going town to town, exercising their art. This had been going on for quite some time in Greece. Greece. And so if you were a member of the church in Corinth, this would have been part of your um, just expected almost worldview, something that your culture really values, all right, is the idea of wisdom and the idea of what these sophists did. So these are brand new Christians. They came to know Jesus. They were baptized. They started having visiting preachers show up. They were also speaking very eloquently, talking very much, just uh, full of wisdom in their own words, And people began, as you would expect almost, treating them like they would treat the sophists. They're like, cool, I want to follow this guy. I want to follow that guy. Now I want to follow that guy. This is why Paul begins ranting in this chapter 1 about um, gospel-centered wisdom. The word there is Sophia, right, as opposed to the wisdom of the world. Um, in the second part of chapter 1, he uses the word Sophia numbers of times, many times in chapter 1, addressing this idea of the, the sophists. So this church began treating their visiting preachers and pastors like the sophists. They were attaching themselves to each one. It was doubtful that, like, Apollos was playing into it, like, oh, I'm going to get this following. This probably wasn't really happening, because a lot of times when churches fall into to bad habits or uh, allow external cultural influences to come in, it's not intentional right? Because we just live in a world that is always influencing us. There's always something happening out in society that's bringing an influence on us. So when we come up to a church, we walk into a church sanctuary, when we, uh, we're trying to walk in Christ, you know, we, we all bring baggage, we all bring influences from the outside in, and that's just part of what it means to be a Christian. We're always fighting those things. The church is always fighting those, th- those things as well. But before you know it, this early church was divided, um, and Paul then, he kind of asked some absurd questions, if you will, in verse 13 to respond to that, when he was responding to this news. This is what he says in verse 13. He says, "'Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? (laughs) Were you baptized into the name of Paul?' I am thankful that I did not baptize any one of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. He almost seems he's like angry, like writing really quickly. He's like, "Oh, I did baptize them, but I don't remember anybody else." But he's like, "Look, guys, you weren't baptized in my name, right?" Is is Christ divided? No, He's one, just like the Church of Christ is one. Were you really seriously baptized in the name of Apollos or the name of Paul or the name of Peter? He's like saying, really? Is this about the person who baptized you, the person who was preaching? Is this what this is really about? Um, to be baptized into Christ means that you are first and foremost belonging to who? Christ. There's no special power of Billy Graham baptizing you or other, some other celebrity pastor or you know, your favorite Bible teacher. It's not the person doing the ministry that matters. It's the person the ministry is about, which is Jesus. He continues on in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And there's where he goes into Sophia, wisdom, not with words of human wisdom. Some of your translations may say eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied, of its power. Paul begins showing his cards. Paul, or by implication, any other leaders or visiting preachers and pastors at this church, they didn't come to baptize people. They came to preach the good news. If people became Christians, that's great, but it wasn't Paul's ability to make people believe that belongs to the Spirit of God changing hearts. He just came to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Secondly, he refused to do so with words of human Sophia or words of human wisdom. He's taking the jab at these soft the sophist kind of mindset that had developed in Greece and among this early church that were probably dividing them there. It's not about the eloquent words or the deep wisdom that somebody brings when they're preaching or teaching. The Greeks at Corinth were probably really rather accustomed to being drawn to these eloquent speakers. It was very culturally normal. But this is how the culture um, uh, around the church in Corinth had brought upon a negative influence to the congregation, because the Greeks treasured wisdom above all else. These are the people that brought, you know, Socrates and Plato and Aris, you know uh, Aristotle and all the ancient Greek playwrights. You know, they treasured wisdom so much. And for these ancient Greeks, the search for wisdom would have been a very, very strong presence on their psyche and their world view, which would have left them particularly vulnerable to treating these traveling preachers like the would have been treating those traveling itinerant sophists. The reality is that whatever nation or people or society you're born into, you are affected by its influence more than we probably realize. And you bring it to this church. You bring it to your faith. As we said a minute ago, it's something we're always fighting against. So I want to jump from the text now to modern day and ask the question, where are we vulnerable as the American church to external cultural influences that can divert our attention from what ministry should be about here at Emmanuel Church? As we explore a few this morning, I want to keep that verse in mind, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If we are followers of Jesus, the main thing is that the church, um, that the church lead and guide us to be followers of Jesus. Cultural and societal values and forces may infiltrate us and bring our focus and attention elsewhere. And this is no small matter. Paul refused Like intentionally, he said, I'm not going to talk eloquently like the sophists do. I don't want to do that because I'm aware of of, of the the cultural presence of what happens when I do that. You'll become about me and treat me as if you'll become like a follower of me. Like I, I don't want to talk that way. I know how it's going to impact you guys. I'm not going to play that game because Paul's main desire was to see that the message of the gospel come forth to the Corinthian church and the power from the Spirit, not from the power of Paul. And the only way to do that was to keep the main thing, the main thing, Jesus Christ, him crucified, present now by the power of the Spirit. The church exists for Jesus The Spirit is here to help us, to remind us of what Jesus said and to point us towards the power of Jesus present in and through us by the Spirit. However, just like the Greeks in Corinth, we are susceptible to cultural movements and values. There can be great feelings of power elsewhere, right, in our society that can infiltrate us. Um, uh, uh, for, For me, okay, I'll just, we'll go into this. Um, a number of things that can happen that we uh, uh, value and can f- creep into our church that we can be um, dependent on for uh, uh, ministry power, for when we uh, think about ministry success, when we think about, you know, are we doing well? What is our standard, you know, of, of, of measuring? Are we, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Or, hey, we're doing something right because X, Y, Z is happening. I want to walk through some of those things. Um, because what happens is, if we start depending on the wrong thing, as Paul says, we're looking for a power somewhere else, a spiritual power somewhere else that we'll see is probably no spiritual power at all. And what happens is, the power that comes from the cross and the gospel, we're trying to look for it elsewhere. And thus, the cross becomes emptied. One huge way this happens is uh, the church valuing crowds. I, I'm a music guy. All right. I had a couple of years where I went to, uh, I lived, grew up in Georgia. I was in downtown Atlanta in some grungy club or something, seeing music and bands play like every other day. All right. So I've also been to some of the huge, you know, they used to have music in Midtown Atlanta. They would have had like a hundred thousand. I remember one time I saw Oasis. This is the nineties, right? Oasis play. Those of you who remember Oasis, there was almost a hundred thousand people at that concert. All right. And I waited like six hours at the very front just to be at the front. And I don't forget looking behind me and just seeing that huge crowd, the whole downtown shut down, people everywhere, the band and we're all singing the same song together, okay? Now, for those of you who've been in a crowd that size, hearing there's like a power that comes from that, right? I mean, it's an amazing kind of experience just to be in that. Our culture really values crowds. If you can draw a crowd, right? There's an assumption like, well, they must be important. They must be saying something meaningful. Maybe I should be a part of that crowd. Their you know, fame and fortune come from those who can draw a crowd. Okay, And we immediately just attach the idea of success to those who can draw a crowd. Let's be honest. So much of the American church has inherited that here. We won't say it aloud, but if this room is full of people, You may have an underlying thought like, oh, we're successful. The room's full of people. Look at us. And if we're not careful as a church, we think that um, the way then we will attach ourselves to whom can draw the crowds or we'll attach ourselves to whatever ministry can draw the crowds, we may assume that in the crowds there is spiritual power found. Or in the person who can draw the crowds that there is spiritual power found in that person because they can draw a crowd now crowds aren't bad crowds aren't evil Jesus drew a crowd okay I mean he did run away from the crowd often just if you read the Gospels but he did draw a crowd right there's not a, they're not an immediate sign that something's wrong or they're not a sign that something's right either if we think there is we're in danger of emptying the cross of its power because there's a lot of ways to draw a crowd that has nothing to do with this. There's a lot of ways to draw a crowd that isn't saying, Holy Spirit, make your presence known amongst us. There's a lot of ways to do that. It does not mean that we're successful if there's a crowd or if there's not a crowd. If we value that kind of growth crowd mentality at all costs, we can also fall in danger of valuing the leaders who bring in the crowds and become kind of like what happened this Corinthian church, a personality-driven ministry. It's a personality trap, similar to that church in Corinth. Like, oh, that guy who preaches there is so funny, or in our culture, you know, it's not so much the eloquence of a speaker, it's the pastors who are like stand-up comedians, right? That's the ones that can draw the crowd, because we're an entertainment-based culture. So that can happen, right? The crowds, the big personalities, the charismatic speakers. Those are all cultural values in America that can be found out there. And we can often mistake those things for spiritual power if the church grows because of it. But listen to what Paul said just in the following chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to this. Just pay attention to his words here. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, you can see it on the next chapter in your Bibles. He says this. This is Paul speaking. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, that's the word both, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In 21st century America, may say, I didn't come as a stand-up comedian would have came to you or something. I don't know. For I decided to know nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And in my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, of Sophia, of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men of the sophists of the sophias, the Greeks were accustomed to want to be attached to. It will not be rested in what the world offers you on the outside, but rather in the power of God. To be a church about reproducing followers of Jesus means that we are utterly reliant on the power that comes from getting every square inch of this church's focus to be lasered in on Jesus Christ himself. It is asking the Holy Spirit to manifest himself, not just spiritually, but even asking him to do so visibly as he had done throughout church history in order that Jesus himself and his glory and his power may be made manifest here in this church. So when people come here, they're coming because Jesus is glorified here and they meet him here. They don't meet me or Derek or other leaders. They're here because Jesus is manifested here. There are also other ways that we can empty the cross of its power misplacing spiritual power in other places we can do so by also treating the church as we do Walmart shopping for our cereal you come here shopping for the church that sells your exact flavor and brand and if you think if all of my preferences are met and then the inner desires you have if they're all just satisfied of lead to the spiritual power you're looking for like you have that big scratch right here. And if the church can just scratch it the right way, it's like, boom, there you go. That's where it's going to be found. No. Sorry. This isn't Walmart, friends. I hate going to the cereal aisle. I'm like, there's literally 400 cereals here. <laughs> like, how have we done that as a society? Really? Like, what has happened? That's not how it works here. This isn't about you here. That's bringing the American consumerism right into these doors. We're called to be above and outside of those things in Christ. Even seeking to be somewhere, But I would challenge you this, all right? Maybe you should look for a church that you don't 100% agree with. I want to assume that maybe I'm not always right. <laughs> you know what I mean? like. We, in our culture, like we're becoming like these echo chambers happening to where, you know, our news outlets or our, all the data we seek, we're just kind of, we we click on the things that we already agree with. And Google picks this up in its algorithm and says, we'll take more clicks if we give them results they already agree with. And we get stuck in this like bubble to where your growth is just like, boom, it stops. And you're just living in your own world that you already agree with. And we bring it here. It's like, I don't don't like when the church does this. I don't fully agree with what that church said. It's like, well, maybe you're wrong. You ever thought about that? And maybe you need to be in this place where you're going to be challenged to think differently. Maybe you need to be in the place that's going to challenge you to do something that you don't actually want to do, but this thing says you should. And you have somebody telling you to do something that you don't want to do because this says you should. Maybe you should be in a church... Like that. Some other things, um, we can look at our building, our prominent physical location we have in this city, mistake that for spiritual power. We can look at our legacy as a church and our deep history in the city of Wilmington that goes back to 1860s and mistake that story for spiritual power. We can mistake if our tithing just skyrocketed and this church just got flushed with cash And we became very financially prosperous. We can mistake that for spiritual power. And all the while, the cross is emptied of its power. There's so many ways that the enemy can sneak into this church, into all churches, and slowly but surely, those churches, and we're susceptible to this as well, can become off-mission by seeking spiritual power in places that are fraudulent, that are worldly, that are temporary, that are cheap. You know, C.S. Lewis has a quote. i want to butcher it because I didn't write it down. It's not my notes. But it's a quote about um, uh, our, 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 our cheap desires. Oh, man, I can't pull it out. That's, I'll summarize it. He says, right, we have these desires inside of us, right? We're always looking for their satisfaction, but we find, like, the, the, the mud— you know, pit somewhere and we're playing with mud thinking, well, this is what we're really looking for. And it's just all muddy. And he says, basically where our desires are being really cheaply satisfied. And he says, we're actually just far too easily pleased. That's how he says it. We're far too easily pleased. And this culture offers all these cheap fulfillments and all these false and fraudulent, you know, powers that feel maybe that, yeah, this is it. Or maybe that is it. Or maybe that. they're all cheap. Because we're, we're so cheaply uh, put at ease by things. When the, when, when the Scripture tells us that we have the very Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you, dwells in all of us, and we have access to that Spirit. And here we are being, you know, caught up in all the cheap pleasures of this world, and we expect the church to meet those cheap pleasures, So how do we keep Emmanuel on mission? How do we uh, uh, find ourselves above that? We see Paul was very intentional about pointing it out, right? How do we not become too enamored if this church suddenly does become completely full one day? If that happens, how do we not become too enamored with that to say, oh, wow, we succeeded, right? Um, How do we approach our ministries in such a way that keeps valuing the things that Jesus wants his church to value, I think, and a step in this direction, is how we define success as a church. I believe one step in this direction is um, we have to really pay attention to whatever we deem as successful. Because what we deem as successful will be what we aim at. It'll be the things that we celebrate. It'll be the things that brings us our greatest joy as a church. I got news for you, and I challenge for you. I'll give you 10 bucks if you can do it, okay? find a verse somewhere in here that says the church should be successful. Find it. It's not there. The church is not called to be successful. Amazon is called to be successful, right? You start up a business, you need for it to be successful. The church is not called to be successful. The church is called to be faithful. Can't Hughes... A pastor. This comes from his teaching. He put it this way: We are not called to be a successful church, but rather called to be a faithful church. He was pastoring a church in Wheaton, Illinois, one of the Christian epicenters of our country. He planted the church; it exploded in growth. He's a young pastor; things were just dynamite, going well, and suddenly started crashing. And he went through a spiritual crisis, and he thought he was failing. It's like, what is wrong with me that people are leaving? I'm failing, this church is now failing, and he wanted to quit until his wife provided the wisdom that he needed, which wives almost always have that wisdom that us husbands are lacking. (laughs) (laughs) All the men are like, yeah, 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 I I know what you're talking about. Um... He got it, his wife, sat down, and said, let's search the scriptures to see, you know, what, what, this this, this lost feeling of no, you're no longer success, successful, your church is failing. So let's search this and see what the Bible says about a successful or failing church. And this is where they landed on. Okay, they found this verse in 1 Corinthians 4, the same letter we're looking at. 1 Corinthians 4 says this, verses 1 through 2. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found successful, prosperous, no, faithful. Stewards of the gospel are faithful. If you want to use the language of success, the one who is a follower of Jesus, who is an ambassador of Jesus, is quote-unquote successful when they are found faithful to him. A church, by extension, is successful in the eyes of God when it is found faithful to God. I want to read a string of verses here. John 15, 4. What does Jesus say to do? Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I don't wanna abide in these church growth strategies that are giving away free iPads to get people to show up in our church. I'm not abiding in that. I wanna abide in Jesus here. I want you to abide in Jesus here. Colossians 1, 10 through 11, so that you can walk in the manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruits in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, faithfulness. Galatians five twenty five. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Ephesians five eighteen. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And finally, we are called to be faithful to Jesus, first and foremost, because Jesus is faithful to us. 2 Timothy verses 2, 11 through 13 says, "The saying is trustworthy for if we had died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. As we equip you as followers of Jesus to share his love and good news to all of our neighbors, as he wants Emmanuel to fulfill this calling, our call is to be, first and foremost, faithful. If we grow in numbers, hallelujah. But we still seek above all to be utterly dependent on the work of the Spirit in our church so that the message of the cross and the fullness of its power can be found here. We don't want to find ourselves dependent on our own worldly wisdom or methods of the world to grow this church. According to Paul, in doing so, we're emptying the cross of its power. I want to remain faithful. Show me a church, show me what a church values by what they celebrate as a congregation. What do they celebrate? What does the congregation celebrate? You're gonna find what they value. You know one thing I really hope the church can begin valuing? All right, I wanna just embarrass somebody. Can I embarrass some people here? Has anybody been walking with the Lord for more than 30, 40 years? Can you guys stand up? Can I embarrass you all? Now, they were blessed to meet Jesus at a young age. But consider their faithfulness that has kept them after Jesus for all of these decades. That is what we celebrate, friends. That is shows that the church is quote-unquote successful when we're cultivating these kind of faithful disciples for examples for us younger people that have spent decades, decades following through the ups and downs their Lord Jesus. Can we just give thanks for these? Let me sit down this That's what I want to celebrate here as a church. As we close... The question is this. What are you looking for here at Emmanuel? As 2022 is upon us, it's a new year. It's time for reflection, for thinking about what is next. What are you looking for here at Emmanuel? Why are you here? What are your expectations from this church? If you were here this morning and you are in a place that you were not considering yourself as being very faithful to Jesus, maybe as we close, I'm going to call the worship team up as they come through the, for the last song, as we're, as we're calling to be faithful and to root out anything else that may be uh, in the way an obstacle of our faithfulness to Jesus, I want you to know first and foremost, and for those even watching at home, God is still faithful to you. If you feel like a hot mess and we hear all this talk of faithfulness and it's like, I don't feel like I'm very faithful, know that God is still faithful to you right now. And the grace of repentance is always available for his people at any point in time. And so we're going to sing a song as usual. We're going to have some people available for prayer. Or even just grab the person next to you and pray if you feel so led. As we think about 2022 and the biblical call to be found faithful, I want to spend a few minutes specifically. If some of you need prayer, please come forward. But also pray for this. As we sing the last song, just as the Spirit leads, just pray where you are. Pray for one another. Pray for this church. Pray. And I'm just so taken by Paul just saying, you know, I, I, you know, he said, I wanted demonstrations of the power of the Spirit to be made manifest through my ministry that you may know that it's not Paul who is ministering, but rather the Spirit of God who is was. Ministering and I'm so convicted by that. Like I I want that here. So I want you guys to pray, Holy Spirit, make yourself manifest here in this congregation in such a way that we know it is you who is at work here, Jesus. It is you who is working among us. Pray for that for 2022. Pray that we don't accidentally fall into the trap of looking for fraudulent spiritual power elsewhere, but we stay focused only in the message and the embodiment of the good news of Jesus among us. Your faithfulness will cultivate the work of the Spirit. Your faithfulness will cultivate the work of the Spirit. Remember that when Paul said, I knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ had been crucified, he didn't just in the next verse go to what he said and how he preached the gospel. What did he say? I came with you with weakness and with trembling, okay? That's Christ on the cross. I told my kids was over breakfast yesterday. I was like, when you, if you saw somebody hanging on the cross, naked, stripped and beaten in the court square, you know, downtown, like, would you, what would you think? It's like well, the person's he's 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 weak. It's like yeah, he's humiliated. He's weakened. There's there's no like physical power there. And Paul said, I wanted to come essentially embodying the cross in my own way that I ministered. I want to be trembling and weak in front of you that you may see like it's not me. Whatever strength or power that you see in this church, it's not from your leaders here. It's from the Spirit of God. And that's how we embody Christ crucified in church. When we do so, we will see the Spirit greatly at work among us. Pray for that, church. So as you sing this last song, um, I'm going to pray now. Jesus, we we, we we want this here at our church, Lord. In the oncoming year, Lord, Lord, just, you called us to pick up our cross daily and to follow you. Lord, would you just give us the eyes to see how we may have been approaching this church thing incorrectly, what other kind of Uh, cultural values we have brought into this place and our expectations of church and our own preferences and all those things we've talked about, Lord, help us to get our eyes on what the scripture teaches and what you led these authors to write and to guide us to, which is that we are called to be stewards and ambassadors of the gospel that are faithful to you just as you were faithful to us. Lord, would you bring us to that place, Lord. Help us to abide in you. Help us to release ourselves over to you, Jesus, that your spirit may truly be guiding us in every step that we take, that we are truly walking in the spirit and have truly allowed you to have all of us, Jesus. Not just some of us, not just a little bit of us, but Lord, all of us. Help us to turn from ourself, Lord, and to embrace you. Help us to be people who repent often, who are willing to say, God, I screwed up, who are willing to confess to one another, I'm screwed up, and help us in the in the boldness to get right back up and just to keep chasing after you, Jesus, and not let Satan tell us how much of a loser we are or how sinful and start pointing his finger of accusations at our weaknesses. Or we know that we are weak but Lord, we, we glorify in our weaknesses because when we give those weaknesses to you, that's where your strength and your presence is found. So Lord, yes, help us to boast in our weaknesses in this church in order that your spirit may fill up in all the voids that we are lacking, Lord.